This podcast is sponsored by the Intellectual Property Office and the IP Education Framework. Through free classroom packs, games and competitions, the IPO aims to foster creativity and innovation in young people. Find out more at www.crackingideas.com. Hello and welcome to the TED Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Simon Locke and today I'll be asking why creativity is something that should be embedded in every subject. Encouraging students to think creatively was once something left to the art department, while teachers of so-called academic subjects focused on the important matter of facts, quotes and dates. But increasingly schools are looking at ways to foster creativity across the whole curriculum and asking students to solve problems using innovation, applying skills to subjects in a creative way. But why is taking an approach like this to subjects like maths and science so important? In this episode, I ask some school leaders to explain why their schools are keen to encourage creativity across the whole curriculum. And I meet an inventor turned YouTuber to find out how a GCSE design and technology project literally changed her life. First up, I'm speaking to Kerry Sellens, Assistant Head and Arts Lead at Lansbury Lawrence Primary School in London, about why creativity is such a vital thing for schools to develop in their learners. Shortlisted for Creative School of the Year at last year's TES Awards, Kerry has seen her cross-curricular approach unlock endless innovation in her classrooms. Hi Kerry, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast this afternoon. How are you doing? I'm not bad, Simon. Thank you. Yeah, just finished a day of uh, teaching, but uh, raring to talk about all things creative. Oh, good, 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 good. And for our listeners' benefit, this is Monday, so um, extra points for Kerry for making time for this at the end of a long day. Um, I'll jump in straight straight in with some questions, if that's all right. I just, we're, we're talking about creativity across the curriculum, um, and I'll come to you first. And I just wanted to get um, a sense of why you think creativity is such an important thing to nurture in young people. I think to enable children to communicate and to imagine and to collaborate and to play with the endless possibilities that there are and being conscious of creative thinking allows children to make connections within their learning and of course to make those connections within the world around them, especially young children. And so I think ultimately, you know, creativity celebrates our individual abilities. And through creative teaching and learning, educators are guiding and supporting the future generations of independent critical thinkers. Traditionally, I mean, when I was at school, I probably would have thought of create, my chance to be creative was in art or drama. But I know at your school, you're much more keen to sort of get that creativity going across the whole curriculum in subjects perhaps you wouldn't have thought of as being creative. What? Why do you think that's so important for you guys? I think, yeah, it's a bit of a misconception, isn't it? That uh, creativity is unused or, or needed within the art subjects. But I think those creative thinking skills, they're completely transferable. And that's what we find really interesting within our school. Um, you know, just to teach children to question, to explore, to reflect and learn to listen and to collaborate with others. Those are skills that are, are not just arts-based. Okay. Um, and you mentioned there sort of teaching, teaching those sorts of skills. Is, is creativity something you can sort of nurture in a student? And it, it, is it something that can be taught? Or do you think it's something that's more sort of innate and, and something a child's born with? 
I think, uh, you know, I think it's a common human trait that we're all born with, most definitely. Uh, you know, it's something that we probably lose or perhaps we lose confidence with as we get older. I always sort of think of that famous um, Picasso quote, you know, all children are born artists. The problem is to remain an artist as we grow up. Um, and I think that sort of really resonates, um, you know, maybe from our sort of experiences or our confidence gets knocked um, and, and we kind of lose that kind of belief in ourselves. But it's a, it's a real privilege sort of working in a primary school and, and seeing how unselfconscious young children can be and how keen they are to learn and try new things. And creativity is something that can be honed and developed um, and something that definitely needs to be nurtured as we grow. Mm. So do you think that um do you think that's become more important in recent years? I the thing that sort of springs to mind when I talk about this is the idea that, you know, people have Google on them at all times, perhaps calculators on their on their person um every minute of the day with a smartphone. Is it more important to sort of foster like innovative skills and creative thinking? compared to sort of you know times tables and things like that nowadays do you think yeah i think uh, it's a common knowledge you know that the creative industries are one of the leading economies within the uk but i think i think that speaks volumes about the interweaving between innovation and creativity and um, the cultural learning alliance have actually gathered lots of interesting research about the benefits of creative and cultural learning um on future sort of career prospects including that learning through arts and culture developed skills and behavior that lead children to do better in school and beyond. Um, yeah, I really recommend looking at that research. And then um, I guess to, again, on the recent times sort of situation with COVID and um, a lot of learning being seemingly lost during those times, it, the creative subjects have been squeezed a little bit, haven't they? It feels like, or, or the focus has been on, um ensuring academic subjects have been literacy and um and maths have been ticked off so do you think this has had a bit of an impact on students have you seen um sort of creativity stifled a little bit well i think there are there are some uh, common aspects of catch up across all schools following covid you know, in, you know including some uh you know literacy games um, and some of that are a bit more bespoke or depending on, you know, individual school priorities. So our school, it put a lot of uh, systems in place during COVID initially through the digital divide that was immediately obvious and remained open, of course, as well for our most vulnerable families. Uh, we supported our community, you know, socially and emotionally and well-being remained a core focus initially after the lockdown period. And um, we've continued with weekly timetabled P4C sessions to date. Uh, to allow that continued discussion around thoughts and feeling. So that was our main, our main focus area. But, um, you know, if we're talking sort of creatively and, and culturally, you know, we also recognise that, you know, cultural capital gap. And we've continued to sort of prioritise our children having first-hand arts experiences um, with professionals, you know, for, for a while. You know, there's not been many trips the past couple of years. And especially sort of for our community where who don't perhaps have access to those opportunities outside of school, you know, being even more so important. And um, so we've kept, um, you know, I'm really proud actually. We've kept sort of a creative focus, but also, you know, keeping our eye on 
all those other areas that all need developed. It's sort of the whole package mm-hmm. that was in schools following the pandemic. But, um, you know, I'm really proud of how we're doing. I'm really proud of how all schools are coping, actually, yeah. through this whole period. Definitely. Um, so could you give us some examples, perhaps, of um, ways you've made more academic subjects a little bit more creative and how you work sort of in a cross-curricular manner? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, take your pick, really. A lot. Uh, yeah, lots of uh, things to choose from here. But I've, I've got a, what springs to mind really is um, a recent project of Akram Khan, a dance um, company, which we did with their year six. Um, and that was last year. You know, so during the pandemic as well, and we sort of worked out this sort of digital project where we could still, um, you know, work with professional dancers but in a sort of, um, you know, virtual capacity. Um, and it was working around his performance of Chotto Death. Um, and most of our community is from Bangladeshi heritage. So our children connected instantly to the story around migration. So it was history, it was storytelling, it was English, it was, you know, PE, it was sort of the whole sort of package, but it's incredibly inspiring to see our children expressing themselves through movement. Uh, so much so that we um, went on to apply for some Paul Hamlin and funding, we just found out it would be successful. So um, we're carrying on working with Akram Khan Company and four other local schools and, and over the next two years. So kind of really looking forward to how we can embed storytelling further within the curriculum, but also, you know, bespoke to these all different schools. I think we're all going to interpret this project in different ways. Fantastic. Um, and so I'm chatting to um, inventor and YouTuber Ruth Amos later, and she's um, she's really big on encouraging ideas from students and and turning them into you know real life um, inventions essentially have you got any examples of ways you've sort of encouraged students to follow their dreams perhaps and kind of uh, create these ideas and inventions um yeah i think um we um it's a couple of years ago now a few years ago but our year six um children um, they designed a room for art, so we needed a new art room in our school. You know, art, art's a very popular subject. Mm-hmm. We needed a bespoke space, so we worked with architects, um, Matt and Fiona, um, and the children uh, went through the whole sort of design process of the initial stages, finding the site, working out what size the the building needed to be, the structure, what needs to be within it, getting rid of the the slime room, editing down things that probably weren't essential, swimming pool. Um, though I did like the chill out area for teachers, so use that. Um, but they went through the whole. You know, it was just that they were architects, and it inspired them so much that after this project, you know, half of them wanted to be architects. I talked to them now; they still want to be architects. So I think sort of making designing um, a project that is purposeful, uh, working with professionals, you know, it was just incredibly inspiring for their sort of future visions and and their self-belief in what is possible uh, we actually went on to get planning permission but then of course you know the, the pandemic struck and so it's on the, it's on the, a bit of a back foot at the minute but the dream is still there brilliant. <laughs> still want to see their ideal dream art room one day yeah brilliant and that sort of brings careers to life in a way doesn't it if you that idea of wanting to be an architect after that project perhaps they hadn't really fully understood what an architect did up until that point it's a nice way of sort yeah. of making it more yeah, we do the voice. We ask children what they want to be when they grow up. We ask them every year. 
that year, there was a huge, you know, when you do your sort of word maps, architectophobic. Spike. Yeah, great stuff. Um, and any other sort of big creative success stories you want to you wanna name drop before I let you get on? Um, what, yes. Yeah, I would say that um, also another way of sort of embedding creativity across the curriculum, one way we've used it is um, through working with the New Direction, we trialled a HRE um, resource um, around using the Bill Lucas um, Creative Habits of Mind model. And I really recommend um, that approach. Actually, if you go to a New Direction website, um, Creativity Exchange, there's several lessons there um, which are across the curriculum and using that model as a framework. And they just encourage sort of metacognition and understanding around um, learning dispositions, which is really sort of interesting. But I think if you're interested in creativity across the curriculum and, and kind of want a bit of a starting point, then I think that's a, a good place to go to first. Oh, excellent. Nicely signposted. Brilliant. Next up, I'm meeting Amy Rogers and Anna Leeds Gooch from Dashwood Academy in Banbury, Oxfordshire, to find out how taking a cross-curricular approach to creativity actually works in practice. Hi, Amy. Hi, Annalise. Thanks for joining me on the podcast this afternoon. I'll dive straight straight into some questions, if that's all right. Um, we just heard from Kerry there about why creativity is important and and how important it is to sort of infuse it into the the whole curriculum. Um, but I guess to me that sounds a little bit sort of easier said than done. I mean, with subjects such as history and maths and physics, how do you how do you sort of bring that creativity out in those subjects? Yeah, so the way we organise our curriculum here at Dashwood is we have um, like units of learning. I suppose it's going back to some of the old-fashioned ideas of doing sort of topic-based work. <laughs> However, we've moved on a lot since those days. <laughs> so our units of work are all organised to allow those cross-curricular links. So, for example, if we are doing a unit on the Romans, we're not just teaching about the Romans, we're they're looking at, you know, maths within that. So we're looking at Roman numerals, you know, some of the money aspects. Um, so the way we've worked our whole curriculum by using those units means it naturally lends itself to the cross-curricular lens. So most of our lessons are actually not standalone lessons. We're not a school that does like an hour on RE and an hour on geography. And um, what it does mean is some of our units are very heavily focused on some subjects rather than others. Um, but that works really well because the children can really dig deep into those subjects. They get lots of opportunities to remember and know more um, because we can recap previous things that we've done. Um, and we have sort of our little threads that we call them that run throughout the whole of our curriculum. So, for example, in history, our, some of our threads are what was it like to be a child in the different eras that they look at. Um, and by using units of work and having a really good quality outcome at the end, these outcomes are very much based on real life scenarios. Um, so another example of that is if we're te teaching Spanish, for example, that's the MFL subject that we teach across the school. We might set up a little cafe, they might do a bit of DT, a bit of cooking, look at setting up food, look at the culture and the um, geography around Spain use obviously the Spanish language, but they might also then incorporate a bit of maths in there, doing some money, calculating things. And um, so I think it's really important that it has to come from the top down. So it has to be led from our long-term and medium-term plans. Okay, brilliant. Well, it sounds like um, teaching has come quite a long way since I last uh, had to do any sort of art lessons, which were very much in isolation, it felt like. But um, so does, does the arts and the creative subjects you find 
are they quite good at acting as a sort of bridge between different um what you'd call sort of more academic subjects and yeah i think definitely at dash we we really do see all of our subjects the creativity in all of our subjects and the arts um we're going to have an arts mark this year and um, for the first time because we know that we make those really great new um, and that really does come from that sort of collaborative planning that we have in school where our teachers have PPA days. They really think about those nicks they can make between the subjects and bridge those gaps between the subjects. Um, and I know that also this shows in um, the way that we, we do make those leaves and helps those children who find learning tricky. So we have some real success stories that come out through those, um, those subject links that we, we do create. Um, and then we know that by teaching um, the arts through all of our subjects that um, the children get a real exposure to um, the arts in those different subjects. So things like in GSHE, um, we've just recently worked on a big collaborative art project in school where we've been creating a huge tree sculpture. But in that time, the children, there's big folks of the children looking at um, their collaborative skills, how they respect each other, those respectful relationships. So thinking about these PSHE threads, they looked at the maths, so they were looking at fractions and the ratio of proportion through the art structure that they were building, learning how to put things together um, as a team. Uh, so lots of subjects coming out um, in there. We've got a project going on um, soon with uh, the local area. So we're looking at um, a site where there was a medieval village. Um, so they're going to be using their history skills in there, um, bridging through their geography skills, looking at sketching and field work. Um, and then they're also looking at their artwork as well in that, so doing some sketching of the sculptures that have been built and um, so lots and lots of different ways that we bridge those gaps make the learning real life and purposeful by bringing all those subjects in together brilliant and yeah you touched on the sort of ppa time there and giving staff the chance to sort of think about the creative things is is that something that comes naturally to teachers i can sort of visualize some maths teachers who might sort of uh be a bit hesitant about using those sorts of approaches do you have to sort of support them with cpd and things like that yeah, definitely. I mean, I would say um, it became it was it was harder for our teachers that are more experienced. So obviously, in primary, we're we're all very used to having to teach all subjects and maybe not being a master of everything. <laughs> um, however, those teachers that have been teaching the longest found this method. We've been doing this now for about four or five years, um, and it came. It started from actually um, as a leader myself from early in. So I was an early years teacher. That's where I sort of started my career. And that is all the way that you teaching them. Yes, you know, you have to create these links for children, otherwise they find that really difficult to make that knowledge. So we sort of took that premise and took it throughout the rest of the school. And that was really difficult at first for those teachers that have been teaching for a very long time, perhaps more used to standalone lessons. However, what we did do was devote a lot of our CPD time. So um, staff meeting times, inset days through CPD from either external providers, but mainly just giving staff time in that type session. So for example, some of our um, CPD days that we did, like our inset days, was actually just time to plan together um, and talk through ideas, put mind maps together, get any basics down. We then as leaders have helped support that and we moderate and um, go and discuss it and stuff. And it's definitely done, been done as a collaborative work. And in, in mostly people talk about how awful COVID's been and the knock-on effect. However, the one positive we've definitely found is it definitely gave staff, certainly during those lockdown times, a little bit of headspace whilst they were teaching online to actually start thinking about the curriculum in a different way. Um, and because we had to think differently, it's been a natural progression for us. And I think the biggest thing for us is definitely that staff have said, because our workload surveys that we do with staff and have a working party, they almost say that the workload they give us very 
manageable at the school, which is great. You can't ever hear that in teaching. <laughs> um, but that is because we do dedicate time to allow them when we want to do something different and think creatively. Um, so the way we organize our PPA, for example, is uh, we're a two four entry school, so our teachers get their PPA together and they have one day every two weeks. And that means it's a bit like a mini inset day for them. We can be creative in their thought processes rather than trying to, you know, teach them, teach all day and then come out for half an hour and be creative. So we value the creativity in the staff, which in turn has a knock-on effect on the curriculum. Brilliant. Okay. So for you've talked about the sort of planning element there. Um, are there any other things that perhaps a, a school who are looking to adopt this approach um, are there any other things that need to be considered? I guess timetabling for, for primary is not quite as complicated as perhaps if you're doing cross-curricular things in a in a secondary school. But yeah. what else do you think needs to be considered? Uh, yeah, I think I think it, it is easier in a primary and secondary. However, in our, within our academy trust, we have got this approach going in our year seven and eight classes a lot. Uh, okay. Through projects, we call it our ATL projects. So they do, do still have some standalone lessons still, so it's not completely embedded like it is, has been primary mm-hmm. um, yet. <laughs> that mm-hmm. is the aim, though, with our publishers to get there. Um, because I think you can see the real benefit of how it's working, even with our year five sixes. You know, it does really work. Um, but I think for staff point of view, just getting started, I think the first thing we did was we started it with one year group. So We've had two members of staff who were really excited about this method um, and we'd already got early years going so i brought early years teachers up into key stage one and um, so they could bring their expertise into them as well and i think that's about getting staff on board trialing it seeing how well it works and then devoting a lot of time so this this is an ever-evolving part of our curriculum it's definitely nowhere complete um, and we can look at new ideas all the time but we are by trying it first, seeing that it works, and then giving staff time and headspace to put it into practice, that's helped staff to get on board with it. Okay, brilliant. Um, so you've sort of volunteered quite a few examples already, it feels like, but I was going to ask you just to just to talk through some particular um, instances where you've sort of brought academic subjects to life. And I guess the, the other one would be just how does that benefit students are you getting them to think more innovatively are they coming up with these you know great ideas and things like that have you got any examples yeah so one of we'll give you a really good example that we've had this year actually is our dashwood is 120 years old this year (laughs) so not not in our current building we've moved buildings and there's been a lot of history in there but because it's 120 year anniversary we actually have done a massive whole school project that's on it and changed our curriculum for that um, and we incorporated, I think, every single subject area into this project. So part of this was like working with an artist to create sculptures. We planted a tree to remember because our logo is tree base. But we, we, you know, we included maths in there. We had a big project around the number 120. Um, but what it really did was look at the local history of the school. We had ex like head teachers and pupils, and we had, even had a pupil who was here in the 1940s come up and visit talk to the children about their experiences and what this did is just brought all the subjects to life but in a really um real life way for our children that they can actually relate to so having for example ex-pupils come and visit the school and talk to us about the careers that they're now doing really inspired some of our children one of them's now becoming a bit of a famous rapper and that really inspired some of our children in the music industry to sort of go on and do something different and i think just using opportunities 
activities that arise like that to to run with them and link it all together just for the children there was just such a buzz around school and everywhere you walked the kids were just buzzing and talking about it and it's probably something they'll never forget well I hope so anyway <laughs> that's the aim um, and so I think making it real life is the biggest thing that we would say is a um, in terms of a tip of going forward. <laughs> so another project that we do um, on a regular basis is we use something called our task wheels, which is where we set children a task that's an open-ended question that they have to try and solve um, by the end. They work collaboratively in a group. So this is going beyond the skills of the normal national curriculum. We, we call them our 21st century skills, those skills that children need by the end time they leave school to be able to get a good job um so working together showing good resilience problem solving communication the language skills and um, and what they do is work together as little groups they all have little jobs within the group and they have to solve the problem or answer the question by the end of the task wheel but they choose how they um are going to present that so some of our children might present it through a presentation some record videos so we get our ICT in there and computing um, some might make little models and do little demonstrations. Some have planned lessons for the children. But I think by getting the pupil leadership involved there, so letting them take ownership of their learning, is another way that the children will naturally create those links in their learning and help them to know more and remember more. And I know that Annalise has got some really good examples of how we work with the community. Yeah, so we're really passionate at Dashford about forging those really strong links with our community. Um, and help using those strong links to help our children to bridge those gaps between subjects. So for instance, at the moment we're working on a collaborative project with our mosque, which is just literally around the corner from our school. Um, and it's about the children producing artwork for an installation that they're, um, they're doing at the moment with a library they're setting up for the community. Um, and it's making now those links with, um, so the RE curriculum, which had people coming in doing storytelling. So the children are learning about the Islamic religion through storytelling, which then helps them to do their own writing. So in literacy, they're writing stories uh, based on the religion. So making those really strong links, but using our community partners to really help us with that and, and build those respectful relationships with our communities around is really key for us at Ashford. My final guest is engineer, inventor, and YouTube presenter, Ruth Amos. Having turned a GCSE design project into a hugely successful product and subsequent career, Ruth now uses her YouTube channel, Kids Invent Stuff, to nurture creativity in the next generation of young inventors. Hi Ruth, thank you for joining me on the podcast this afternoon. Thank you for having me. Um, so we've heard from a couple of educators there about how schools can spark creativity across the curriculum, but I wanted to ask you about what happens when you sort of take things to the next level and perhaps these projects and ideas become something bigger, something perhaps that might, you know, Form a career one day. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your your channel and what you do? Yeah, so I'm an inventor, uh, which was never really my plan when I was at school. Uh, when I was at school, I thought I wanted to go uh, in and study law, and that never happened, mainly because of a DT teacher. Uh, so I went to a very normal secondary school uh, in Derbyshire, and as part of our GCSEs, we had to choose to take something like electronics or resistant materials or food tech and I decided to take resistant materials so design and technology and as part of my coursework for that my teacher set me the challenge to design something to help his dad go up and down his stairs so his dad had had a stroke and wasn't able to use his stairs and so my teacher kind of set me the challenge to invent something or come up with something to solve that problem 
And so as part of my GCSE resistant materials coursework, I invented something called the stair study, which is a specialist handrail that helps people go up and down the stairs. And my teacher kind of saw the project and thought that had that it had potential. And it kind of a lot it was a long kind of convoluted story, but essentially it ended up with me being young engineer for Britain and having this product and starting a business and not going to university and discovering this whole world of engineering. Um, and yeah, and, and now I'm really passionate about engineering and inventing to the point where me and my friend, Sean, we have a YouTube channel where we set an invention challenge every single month and primary age children send in invention ideas as pictures or videos. And then we bring at least one of them to life. So we're building real kids invention ideas whether that be giant furry electric dog cars or jam firing rockets um, or giant dinosaurs that mop your floor. And so, yeah, I would say it sounds a little dramatic, but I would say my GCSE resistant materials coursework literally changed the course of my life. <laughs> wow. That is a big statement. Yeah. I, I've, yeah. Seen an episode, um, I've seen an episode where you've built a, uh, a sort of bike that feeds you cake as you pedal along which yep, is quite yeah yeah bike one. that feeds you cake <laughs> we've done you know uh automatic showers we've done karaoke mops yeah all sorts of uh um, amazing inventions designed by four to eleven year olds oh, fantastic yeah such a good story that that's that's had such an impact on you and your and your D and T teacher back then made such a difference to your life um so what do you think it is about the inventions and these things that captures children's imagination we've talked about sort of why creativity and why that's so important but what is it what is it about inventions that really gets kids going well i mean me and my friend sean had a long discussion about this and i think that the there's a few things around it but the fact that something that you design can actually become a real thing uh I mean, I know personally was quite a big thing, seeing something I designed go through a factory and come out the other end as a proper product. Because I, I think up to that point, I thought that it was other people designed and made things. So other more important, cleverer people um, solved these big world problems. And then I suddenly realized, oh, actually, no, I could do it as well. And I think so much around what we, what young people need for, you know, when they leave school, the world of work, all those kind of problem solving, creativity, like taking risks, teamwork, all of those things are needed in invention. So when Sean and I were thinking about how we explain to a four or five-year-old about engineering, there are so many different types of engineers and so many different jobs and all this sort of thing. But actually, if you say to a five-year-old inventor, they think problem solver, they think creative, they think, you know, crazy wacky ideas. And we found that it was much easier to get some of those skills that are needed when people leave school, but also those skills that are needed across STEM, science, technology, engineering, and maths, were much easier to get children excited about when we spoke about them under the umbrella of invention, rather than saying, oh, we're an engineer, which often children might come to you with their, you know, oh, they fix things or they, a certain type of engineering or whatever their, you know, a lot of people's perceptions of engineering are very different. Whereas when you say, inventor suddenly their eyes light up and they're like oh wow <laughs> yes definitely you know it's a whole nother sort of ball game for kids isn't it it's almost like a sort of magician in the same yeah, realm i think as well like kids have something that i mean sean and i often joke that we couldn't do this project with adults ideas because 
no offense adults, but they're kind of rubbish. Like we've all had our imagination stamped on and we've all had, you know, certain rules and regulations put in place. You know, lots of adults, oh, I've got this idea, it's, it's an app. I don't think a child has ever written an idea for an app on their invention idea. It's always something like very physical and linked to the real world and creative and exciting. Like there is never a bad kid's invention idea. And at some point that changes. <laughs> and I think it's about, you know, keeping that curiosity and that creativity, keeping that young person engaged in that way, because they're the skills, those skills that make us different from robots. They are the things that are going to make us more employable because you can program a robot to do complicated maths and to look at all the data and all that sort of thing. But actually it's the things that robots can't do that humans are really good at are the things that we should be really cultivating in the next generation. Definitely. Yeah. And those things that robots aren't so good at, the sort of creative bits, how important is it for those things to come through in subjects that people might consider slightly more academic, you know, like maths, for example? Is there room for creativity in those subjects, do you think? Oh, I personally think there's creativity. We have creativity in every subject. Um, and I think as well that, you know, I think teachers do a fantastic job at putting that in. And I think quite often the hardest thing for them is that young people can't work out the real life applications. And that's one of the things we try and do in the channel is show, okay, so I don't know, like chemistry, for example, you know, you might look at our channel and go, gosh, they, do they do chemistry? Well, actually we built, we have a lot of slime and we talk a lot about how we make slime, which is chemistry. You know, we're talking a lot about um, the way something moves. We've spoken a lot recently with our inventions around friction, for example, which is physics. So I think that there are lots of ways to make that engaging and exciting. I think it's trickier because the tools and resources we all are, have um, is very different. So for example, when I was at school, I remember doing like maths papers with a calculator and a non-calculator non paper. And I'm, you know, yes, it's great that I can do mental arithmetic where I go around the shops and add, thing up, add things up. But if I'm doing tricky maths, I can just go on the computer, I can get out a calculator, I can, you know, there are tools to help me in the real world that I can use in my everyday job. And I think that's quite tricky because bits of the education systems don't reflect that still, if that makes sense. So I think teachers have such a tough job because they're trying to teach young people these skills. And actually what's really important is like the basics. So like, how do you learn? How do you problem solve? Like they're the basic skills because if you teach someone, it's almost what's well, the, the same way you like, um, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach him to finish, like yeah. you can feed him for, I don't know, whatever that saying is. It's yeah. kind of the same within education. If you're teaching a young person where to find the right information and how to learn and how to gather that information, that's so valuable. Yeah, definitely. That sort of idea of learning to learn is such an important one for a lot of, a lot of big education thinkers at the moment, I know. Um, so You've told us a little bit about your project um, and how you sort of met, brought that to life. But how is there a way that schools could perhaps foster that sort of um, innovative spirit in their children and get those, you know, GCSE projects and turn them into into sort of well-being inventions? Is there something that schools could do better? Um, I think there's a few things that help. I think it's tricky to say exactly like here's a recipe book to repeat that. Um, I think I was very lucky. The things that helped me in my situation was linked to industry. So the school had a link to a local manufacturers and the guy who owned that came in and he was the first person that kind of gave me advice around patenting and it ended up 
building prototypes of the invention and things. So that industry link was vital. Um, and then there was something around, um, particularly for me, was quite a big thing is we would do year on year, we do an engineering competition, which is now the Big Bang Fair, but it used to be just called Young Engineers. Um, and that was like a really pivotal moment for me because suddenly I went into this world where there were other people who were designing and making things and it kind of opened up my world from this small state school in Derbyshire to suddenly be, wow, there are loads of other people who like me, love this sort of thing and, you know, are creating projects and products and they have patents as well. And you don't feel like you're the only person, if that makes sense. So I think that was useful in the sense of widening up my horizons. But I also think the other side of that was the contacts that were made within that and the opportunities. So I don't think my product would have done as well or I would have considered it as a product if it hadn't won that award because that then puts it on BBC Breakfast TV and News 24 and Five Live Radio and people approached me wanting to buy it and that kind of set off this whole, oh, okay, so... Should I go to uni? Should I start a company? So I think that those kind of that mixing part of having a really supportive teacher, having that link to industry, and then having some sort of like that, that competition or something that that kind of got my little local project onto a national stage. Like they were probably the three things that I think were the most pivotal. And I think that's, that's kind of hard to replicate, but there are things out there that would fit into all those boxes still. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. And what, what do teachers need to consider when they're, you know, if they've got people like you with this great idea, um, and suddenly the, you know, something clicks and they think, wow, this is actually something, you know, brilliant. This is, this could be, you know, sold, manufactured. What sorts of things need to be thought about in terms of, you know, has someone else had the idea? Do you need to patent it and all those sorts of elements? Yeah, I think from, for me, intellectual property was quite important. So someone early on realizing, okay, so we need to keep this quite private and we need to be getting people to sign non-disclosure agreements and things like that. So having that understanding around intellectual property was really useful. Um, but I think as well, like some projects aren't necessarily patentable, they're just great projects. And I think it's having that support and really kind of encouraging that student that they can do something with that whether that be you know nowadays as well it's so much easier to get an idea or a project out in front of people so you know it might be sharing something on social media it might be you know if, if I know now a lot of projects might use things like Raspberry Pis or Arduinos like there's some great platforms for showcasing those sorts of projects online and I think it's just encouraging the student to take that project as far as they want to or to do another project because they are the sort of things that employers um, and industry get really excited about. I know, you know, I've got plenty of friends who have got their jobs because of their GCSE or A-level projects. Um, and I think that's something that maybe isn't explained or kind of understood enough maybe from either students' point of views or parents. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely think those kind of extracurricular projects can be the thing that makes someone you know, really employable, get that, you know, place at uni, whatever it might be. Yeah, brilliant. They go a long way, don't they? You know, qualifications aren't everything at the end of the day. Yeah. And it's really tricky for teachers. They have so much that they have to do and fit into a curriculum and so many students. But I, I do think, you know, 
I am so grateful for those teachers that put in that that extra time. And it wasn't even necessarily, you know, my D teacher, it was thing, you know, things like he'd come in for extra days in the holidays and have the workshop open so we could go and work in the workshop and things like that. And or just that encouragement, you know, I think just just someone saying like this idea is good and there's there's real like validation in that so yeah I, I do think it's so tricky for teachers because they have a lot that they have to balance um but I do think that things like you know Big Bang Fair and, and other kind of competitions and projects and you know taking students out of their little safe environment of school can do such a it's such a, an important part for them realizing that they are part of a bigger community it's not just their school or something much bigger out there um fantastic so just to finish then have you got any um words of wisdom for listeners who might be looking to sort of nurture that creative spirit um with the young people in their school especially ways of sort of bringing those perhaps less uh glamorous elements into the equation the sort of maths and the science uh topics maybe i always think it's so much easier to talk about those topics when you find the thing that the young people are passionate about so you can talk about them you know if, if there's a particular project they want to do and it involves maths then they'll learn the maths because they want to do the project so for me I often find it's that kind of project-based learning it's finding and there's loads of amazing schemes and like engineering outreach things that happen already that you can be part of whether it's you know Bex Robots, Lego League like you know there are already existing programs that are happening but it's finding that thing that excites and interests your students whether it be formula one in school or whether it be something like kids in Munster, you know and, and each of those has a varying degree of different age groups that can be involved different amounts of resources that are needed you know it might be it might not even be like our, our channel it might be another youtube channel there's some amazing engineering science maths resources on youtube as well and you know I know going into primary schools, as soon as I say I'm a YouTuber, oh my word, they get so excited. <laughs> and then you start talking about engineering and science, technology, maths, and they're all really engaged and excited about it. And I think there's definitely something around, you know, looking at different types of content and particularly taking things from resources that they can access at home. So I go into schools and I ask you, know, how many young people watch YouTube? The majority of hands go up. So finding good and inspiring content on there, it can be really useful because then young people can go away and, and engage with that out of school as well. So yeah, I, I definitely think that there are, um, finding that project or finding that thing that really excites that young pe person, you can then, you know, get them to maybe learn more or get involved in subjects they're not that interested in. So when, when we do invention workshops, you know, we start off and I get them to design something draw a picture um, and then label it so that we can see what it is maybe write a sentence about it and I have teachers who are like this child does not want to write usually and they've written you a whole half page about their invention because oh, they've wow. got so excited about okay. it um, and I, you know I, we've, we've done events um, kind of in museums and it, you know different um, engineering events that had parents be like wow I've never seen my child you know write their own name and age on a sheet of paper but they're so excited about this and you know like I think as well if you find that project you find a thing that excites that young person then you are more likely to get them to engage with some of the other stuff that they might not have wanted to or, or, or they've struggled with and they're like no it's worth it's worth persevering with it. Thank you Ruth that was fantastic really interesting great to speak to you. Fab thank you have a good day.
This podcast is sponsored by the Intellectual Property Office and the IP Education Framework. Through free classroom packs, games and competitions, the IPO aims to foster creativity and innovation in young people. Find out more at www.crackingideas.com.